Welcome, everyone. This is episode number five of uh, Exploring Reality. I'm Costa, this is Byram, and today we're talking about the news. Byram. <laughs> yes, indeed. So maybe like just to kick it off, how do you define news? I define news as basically any stream of content that's done in order to kind of like raise public awareness around a particular uh, topic, right? Um, so I think that there's a lot of like entertainment is basically to, you know, entertain. And I think news is to inform. What about you? Very good one. Yeah, agreed. So then I guess, do you follow the news? And if you don't, which you don't, I know that you don't. Why don't you follow the news, Byron? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I stopped following the news about four, four to five years ago. Um, main reason being that you have a limited amount of time, period, in any week, and you can spend the same time um, learning about things that are very relevant right now, but won't be relevant at all in about a month. Or you can spend all your time studying timeless or evergreen information. And that's what I chose mostly. So I decided to like constantly to cut the news and to read more books instead. Uh, and the most important news things, you'll actually hear about them via friends. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> honestly, I've been quite happy with my decision so far. But hey, how about you, man? Yeah, I think for me, it's been really funny because actually I'm very much the same. I haven't consumed the news properly in about three or four years. And I'd say when I, before that, I was kind of polar opposite, right? So I would wake up in the morning and I would have like three different emails coming in with like, here's the financial news. Here's like tech news. Here's like, uh, I don't know, like any other kind of like, uh, you know, market news, whatever. Um, and that was great as long as I kept up to date and I kind of built the habit of like having that drip feed into like my brain every morning. But then I realized like, exactly the same thing as you it's just like it's so chaotic the news like sort of up the ups and the downs and sort of like the never-ending commentary and you always feel like you're not quite in the loop on what's happening um and it kind of i feel like creates a little bit of an anxiety um for people and i guess the really interesting thing that happened with me is that i actually didn't hear about covid during from the news um at all I had two experiences at the start, which kind of like, you know, brought this whole current pandemic uh, to the forefront of my mind. First was um, I was going in for a meeting with someone and I went to shake their hand as normal etiquette, uh, you know, used to proceed back in pre-COVID world. Um, I don't know if you guys remember what that is, but, you know, we yeah. used to have this weird human ritual where when you meet someone, you give them a hug or you shake their hand or you give them a kiss, depending on what kind of relationship you have, maybe all three, it depends. But I just I'm went to give someone that. a, <laughs> went to shake someone's hand. It's like, whoa, what do you mean you're going to shake my hand? And I was like, uh, what the hell did I miss here? And then I got a lecture about like what's been happening on COVID, uh, in terms of the world, in terms of pandemic. I'm like, okay, this is actually great. And now I'm now up to date. Um, and then I read like a few medium posts and stuff like that. And I don't know, I feel like ultimately the important stories in many ways end up reaching you regardless. Yeah, definitely agree. And I think you're making a very strong point because um, I have exactly the same. Like about 95% of the, 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 the news that most people hear of, I don't hear of it. 
And of the 5% that I do hear of, like there's maybe half of it that I actually find very fascinating and very interesting and then good to know about. And then I'll do proper research, right? And for example, with COVID, um, in some ways I kind of feel that, and, and of course you can do this whilst following the news as well, but I, in both our cases, I know we didn't hear it necessarily via the news, but once we heard about it and knew that it would have a big impact on the world, we started proactively researching quality material on it, right? Uh, and that's how you make up for it, the way I look at it. The thing that became quite apparent for me was just that as soon as I kind of heard about this, I had like a two week period where I actually actively started consuming the news again to try and stay on top of what's happening. You know, are things shutting down? Are they not shutting down? What's happening in other parts of the world? And actually those two weeks were really bloody stressful just because, I don't know, I feel like the news, you kind of have this really interesting cocktail of you know cortisol stress inducing shit that's thrown in your face and then like the odd spike of dopamine it's like oh you know pandas are doing great and they're having sex or whatever the positive news weird positive news story of the world is um of that day and i don't know i just feel like it's such a i don't know a strange way to consume information and i think that because the news is it, Naturally, you know, I th and I think it'll be actually interesting to deep dive on this, but we tend to be a lot more, our emotional response tends to be a lot stronger to negative things in terms of, you know, the survival instincts than positive things. So in many ways, I think new, the news understands this and this is kind of how they try and keep us in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Ne negativity bias is a major thing. Um, and, and there's a bunch of sayings for this, right, within the, uh, uh, within the journal journalism world. But the thing is, like, I think back in the day, it served a really useful purpose, right? Like, imagine that you're in a, in a, in a village and you don't have a TV and you, cannot, you don't have social media and you don't have any of that stuff. Uh, but you still kind of want to know what the key information is in this country, right? Like, so of course, then um, it's very useful to have that newspaper. And that's also why I think a lot of like business people, they, <laughs> right, it's, it's a ritual for them. Like, okay, in the morning and they read their newspaper. Um, and of course, it stems from something very useful. But right now, it's almost exactly the opposite. I think we, we chatted about this on this podcast before, um, that there's way too much information. Nowadays, it's not about like finding more information. It's literally about filtering the right information, right? And um, I think the news makes it almost impossible, <laughs> right? It's almost yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. And um, I really, someone's opinion who I really like on this is a guy called Ryan Holiday. Um, he wrote, uh, a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, The Confessions of a Media Manipulator. Yeah, and he kind of, yeah. And it, he, he just broke down how this whole system works in terms of the news. And honestly, it's, it's, it's a fascinating read in terms of how you can manipulate the news. But I think one of the more nuanced things that he talks about, which I think is really interesting, um, is this idea of kind of like constantly evolving news, which is the fact that, you know, before investigative journalism 
um, in large publications used to be really focused on quality and getting the sources and building a case and building a story and really making sure that like, you know, when something is published in a large pub, uh, in, in a large, well-respected publication, there's a lot of due diligence that has gone into that. And this is for the public good. Whereas now, because, you know, we have the internet, Speed seems to be the thing that everyone has optimized for, which very much kind of like goes into the process of we're going to take an angle of this new story that is interesting and try and be first with it. And then if we get it wrong, we'll then, you know, go online and, add, you know, append the story, add an extra little bit of detail. But I think the real challenge with that is that very often you're getting like knee-jerk reactions to what's happening in the world by journalists who are trying to play a story, right? And then anytime the information comes in that opposes that story, they're, you know, going back and, re you know, re-editing the story, re-editing re the piece. But in many ways, the damage has already been done. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so both of us have made the conscious decision to not follow the news, really, right? Um, but the news follows me, right? So it comes over on social mm. media. <laughs> yeah, right. Because like it comes over on social media and then it's in between the other stuff that I kind of want to see. And um, then there's this other kind of like feedback loop because social media can also be quite toxic. So in the beginning, especially like I, I installed Instagram about, I think a bit, of a, year, a bit over a year ago. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to make the mistake of like, getting too entertained on Instagram, right? I'll make sure that it's useful. So what did I do? I followed all these like useful publications, like tech stuff, uh, business stuff, entrepreneurship, like futurism, like any of, any of these kind of things, which means my social media is now a news generator and I didn't even notice it, if that makes sense, right? So, it, and, mm. and you were talking about like that stressful feeling uh, that you have when you get this, like when you, feel like you're not up to date on the most uh, recent information. And in some ways, I noticed that I get the same feeling with Instagram now. So I'm trying to like, I'm still pondering on what to do about it. Dude, so actually, this is funny. I deleted Instagram off my phone as an app like three weeks ago. And it's been great. Um, because I, I think I had, I had exactly the same thing. I basically was following all this random stuff on Instagram. And I was like, wait, like this is sinking a lot of my uh, time during the day. Let's at least make it productive. And it's like, okay, great. Let's put National Geographic, The Economist, all these kind of like yeah, publications exactly. that, that, that I respect that I think would have relevant content. Um, but then what I realized is, you know, I think you always have to kind of step back and think about the incentives of the situation, but also what this distribution channel like what 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 it what it's optimized for and the thing when you look at something like instagram is that it's a visual medium it's a visual channel therefore people are trying to convey a complicated message of a you know geopolitical situation or you know like like the financial markets some of the stuff that's been published on instagram just as like quick snapshots have been absolutely hilarious and fascinating for a variety of different reasons but i think one of the challenges is that by trying to push everything to a visual medium, you're trying to create visual, uh, visually entertaining and stimulating content, which oftentimes strips out so much of the extra nuance and the extra extra uh, content that is actually the stuff that you should be focusing on because you know you want to be able to 
to, to be informed by the news and create your own kind of judgments on the situation, right? Um, and I think that the, the simplification of that content uh, getting more and more streamlined so it could f you could fit two of them on the size of your phone, I think that's actually pretty problematic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, this is an overall trend that we're seeing, right? And I think uh, for some purposes, it's a great trend. And for some purposes, it's not, right? Like, so when you're talking about like investigative journalism and truly getting good input um, so you can create a better model of what the world looks like, <laughs> then two sentences doesn't cut it, right? Plus a, plus a sexy image. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And I think the interesting thing as well is that, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, but, you know, you could read the comment and like, you know, you can spend a lot more time digging into because usually there's a couple of paragraphs. But in reality, when you think about it, most of the posts, you kind of have to click see more. So the average person, they only see, you know, a small image with like a one line description. And that's kind of like the, the only input that most people are getting. And I think with, with all these kind of stuff, it's just kind of worth thinking about not what is your behavior as an individual using this platform or trying to consume this information, but rather what is the average person's experience? Because very often, you know, the fact that we're sitting here and recording a podcast talking about this stuff, and you know, for the people listening, it means that you're kind of not average. Like, you know, you're not the average consumer. And I think that the interesting role that the news had in, in the past was that it kind of gave the general public, it was like a public service announcement and it was a duty to the public to kind of keep everyone on the same page and make sure that stuff isn't drifting away too much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also like maybe one, one good side note is that not all news is bad, right? News serves an amazing function. For example, now the fact that the entire world is suddenly talking about racial injustice, I think that's, that's a great thing, right? Um, it's just the way in which the information is fed, right? And, and I think you said it very well. You were talking about the incentives on, for example, social media um, uh, platforms, but also like the incentives for, for multiple like journalistic copies, if you think about it, right? If you can choose between two uh, different newspapers and one of them has a positive vibe and one of them has a negative vibe, of course, we want the positive one, but we're not gonna read the positive one, right? The, our attraction, like our attention, is already uh, attracted by the negative one, like the negativity bias that we were talking about before, and that's such a complex thing on such a deep level, such a psychological area that it's really hard to change this, right? Um, I think maybe, as you can hear, I'm not the expert in this area, but. Uh, a while ago, I heard about something called, I think it was Turtle, um, which was like a positive kind of newspaper. And when I heard that, I was like, ooh, that could be interesting. Because as soon as you have a few of those kind of like um, platforms that actually publish positive stuff, but also very investigative, then you got a very interesting um, <laughs> situation. Because when a few, like, a few newspapers do it or a few journalistic uh, places do it, then others are likely to follow. I mean, I, I think that sounds great in principle. I can't see it working in practice. Um, for the simple reason, like, you know, this, this negativity bias that you talk about, right? So what is the fundamental, like, psychological trigger there? It's all about, like, security and safety, right? 
So we're naturally programmed to pay a lot more attention to stuff that could potentially impact our, uh, you know, put us in danger. Therefore, with all this information that's out there, as soon as we hear about stuff that potentially could be damaging, uh, you know, it, it, we're just much more um, predisposed to pay a lot more reten- uh, uh, attention to it. And also, I think, to, to remember a lot more, right? So if you think about the business world parallel, it's this whole thing of like loss aversion. We're so much more afraid of losing what we currently have than gaining something new, which is why usually when you ship new products, they need to be three times better than, than the current in order to get people to overcome their, their, their entrenchment in their current um, experience. And I think that, you know, this, this interesting aspect of the human consciousness that is naturally predisposed at being optimistic and having dreams and visions and hope of a better future, but at the same time, the path of least resistance is always the path that is the negative one, just from a survival point of view. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, I definitely agree on a psychological level. I am going to challenge you, though. <laughs> so um, you were talking about like trends in general and also like in, in the business world. What you see is like a l- power is shifting towards consumers, right? And um, I think like when I'm mindlessly scrolling my Instagram feed, absolutely. I am in system one, which we talked about before. I'm I'm very intuitive. Therefore, I'm very easy, uh, very susceptible to these kind of biases. And then when it's negative news, I will hover, even if it's a microsecond longer and I won't be aware of it, over the negative news. Absolutely agreed. But I think like in the longer term, the interesting thing is that consumers will have more and more power right so when you think about this for example right now (laughs) um or at least like until short ago none of these investigative papers publicly stated okay we're going to make it all positive right so we didn't even have the choice as far as i know right but if you think for example let's say that this this turtle or whatever uh, becomes a positive like editorial area right what happens is that suddenly I can pre-select a channel and say, okay, this is information I am willing to listen to. And then, of course, it's still gonna, in some ways, like compete with the stuff that I see, for example, on Instagram, if you didn't already convince me to like remove Instagram, um, <laughs> right? So, and I think that's exactly how, how, like, that's the only way you can come at this, right? Because you need to make system two decisions, like very rational, conscious decisions, where you lock yourself in into the positive stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so I completely agree with you, and I think this is really interesting, but I just don't think the world works this way. Like, that, I, that I definitely can't deny. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because because I think, you know, this is, this is the challenging thing, which is, um, you know, one of my... Uh, I keep talking about favorite books, but another really amazing book is Atomic Habits by James Clear, who really breaks down, you know, habits are the compound interest of like your decisions and your focus um, over the long period. Um, and really, he, he focuses on how to create the right decision for you uh, and put it on the path of least resistance, you know? So for example, really simple hacks, like if you don't want to play PlayStation, if you don't want to watch the the TV, remove the batteries and put them in another room, right? That extra bit of friction will give you space and time for your system two to kick in, as opposed to your system one just grabbing the controller straight away. 
And I think this is the real challenge of all this, which is that whenever a institution, institution maybe isn't the right word, but when, whenever like a part of our life has a bunch of different organizations that have really understood how to hook us in and get us engaged. And in order for us to disengage with that, because we're not happy with the way that it works, requires us to take a real stance in creating extra friction uh, to put friction in place for where they've tried to be really frictionless, if, if, if you can kind of like follow the logic there. I think that's just putting a lot of responsibility into the hands of the consumer, which quite frankly, I'm not sure that that many people are, are just conscious enough to, to, you know, really go out of their way to like change their behavior in such a, such an overt way. Yeah. Um, strong point you're making and <laughs> comes down to, the amazing quote of with great power comes great responsibility, right? Because I think that's actually what's happening, right? Consumers get more and more power. We can choose what channels to, to follow and what uh, things to listen to and what to focus on and what books to read. And we have like all of these options, but that comes down to the other bias, paradox of choice, where it, it even though it feels like you have more freedom when you have more options, that's up to a specific point And afterwards it's gonna like, <laughs> it'll actually eat your freedom because you also need to spend your limited resources on deciding what to choose, right? And I think that's what's happening here. So um, in short, I think you're definitely like different, <laughs> wait. So I think most people um, would indeed have a hard time making a conscious decision. And one of the reasons I know is because most of the time I have a very hard time making a conscious good decision right but i do think it's slowly shifting um and for example like for example like the social media platforms are actually a relatively good comparison right for example a lot of people actually stopped using facebook and for example you um like removed instagram as well i'm actually very much considering removing instagram especially now <laughs> after you get you talk this and I think it's a, it's a slow shift, right? So you cannot talk about this as a person indeed. It's like you said before, it's about the average. But at least like the more awareness like this there is, the more likely it is that most people are going to make a good decision. Yeah, for sure. But can, can I go a little bit political right now? Absolutely. <laughs> That's right, exactly cool. what I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I think... What I'm about to go into, if you're interested, check out another podcast called Exponent, which talks a lot about um, society and technology in general, and they talk a lot about Facebook and regulations. But I think what I really think is worth thinking about is just like, who controls your attention? So if you think about it from that point of view, the two biggest companies in the world right now are Google and Facebook in terms of, you know, you want to find out the answer to something? you go to Google, you want to distract yourself or can speak to your friends, you go to one of Facebook's products, which is, you know, like WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram. And I think that the interesting thing there is that obviously you can program, you know, you can try and curate the kind of stuff that you like to uh, engage with that you think is good for you and try and get the algorithms to give you more stuff of what 
uh, of what you like, you know? So I'm going to like all the really clever intellectual stuff on The Economist, and I'm going to like National Geographic pictures. And uh, I say this as an example because this is actually what I've done before. <laughs> but um, ultimately, there also comes the point where right now we're putting a lot of public pressure on these companies to start being judge and executioner around who they should moderate and who they shouldn't. And I think this is a really, really dangerous road to walk down, right? Because as soon as you give power of, you know, judge and jury and, you know, people are asking for Twitter and Facebook to basically, you know, start banning stuff that Trump is saying, et cetera, et cetera. But then like, where do you draw the line? And if maybe I had the answer, I would run for president, but hell no. <laughs> Well, well, I guess it, 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 it's just more in terms of like, okay, great, you know, uh, Trump puts something out there and I think Twitter then basically say, added, added a little tag off the back of it saying, check your facts. But then, you know, that is a really slippery slope. Are we going to go out there and start policing every single person with an opinion uh, and doing a fact check of whether what they're saying is right or wrong? And then, you know, ultimately the people that are building these products have political views as well. And most of them come from Silicon Valley, which, as we know, is a very left-leaning place for, for the majority of people. So I think it's just, you know, how exactly should someone behave and where do you draw the line, right? So if you go out there and you start really, um, you know, going after Trump for uh, some of the stuff that he's saying, do you then also attack some of the people that are really left and uh, the liberal elite as well? Because there's definitely some stuff that they've been sharing that is just factually incorrect in terms of the data that they're putting yeah. forward in terms of, you know, I've seen some stupid stuff around income inequality, et cetera, et cetera, which directionally I, I buy with the thesis and with where this is going. But the way that the data is actually portrayed isn't statistically accurate, which bugs me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely can imagine, and um, yeah, I'm I'm just not at the point in my life where I actually have a strong opinion on this, right? So I think uh, I'm going to switch the questions mostly. So <laughs> um, this is more of an opinion than a fact, though. But still, like I think Trump, you mentioned him before. He he is a master at playing the media, right? Apart from, for example, a fact check, what do you think are some kind of things? we might be able to do to lessen the the broad range of influence that people like this have if that makes any sense I yeah so, so so i guess like what you're saying is like how do you restore balance right way better yes <laughs> okay so the best way to approach it is actually to think about us really getting to grips with understanding what the modern ways of getting information out to the public are and how these trends operate. Because I think that one thing that I think historically we seem to have forgotten about right now is that if you bring us back 50 years ago when you know radio was the predominantly like communication channel out to the public, radio was definitely not neutral, right? There were certain shows and certain like uh, you know political agendas getting pushed yeah. down people's throats. Same with newspapers. Newspapers were also partisan. There's left-leaning ones. There's right-leaning ones. And same with TV and news. And all these platforms and all these channels of content distribution 
have always been to some extent biased one way or another. And, you know, it's, it somehow seems the fact that we've forgotten that. I think the one important distinction is just like how much more, I guess, how much better you can drill down with social media in terms of, you know, you could really profile people and get your message out to very, very specific audiences. And, you know, this is the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. But ultimately, you know, we, I don't know, I think especially when it comes to politics and the news, you just have to know the game that you're playing and you have to be in touch with how the majority of voters are collecting uh, information, how they're making their decisions and what's influencing them in their lives and figure out what's the right channels. And so honestly, I guess it's like a being connected with the times and understanding how technology works. Because each one of the technologies that I just listed were a, like, you know, they all came in waves and each one was subtly different to the to, to previous ones. That's a very strong point you're making. Um, and I think like, one of the things that has always been the case is that in many cases to to actually truly being able to like leverage all these different channels you need some kind of power right that's that's the complex thing here because trump for example already was a billionaire right and then you actually have the means and the resources to figure out how all of this stuff works whereas the um <laughs> let's just very simply call it the others <laughs> are um not in a not necessarily in a position and if you take this to the extreme we're, we're taking a sidestep here if you take this to the extreme it's actually been proven that like for example people that grow up in in lower income households actually uh, have lower iq points simply because they have to spend so much of their mental capacity on getting through the day as opposed to for example these kind of like big picture things right yeah, for sure. But but I guess like let's not be silly here. Um, I guess you know, we're now talking about Trump and obviously I guess it's worth mentioning what happened with Hillary back in the last election. It's not like she didn't have money to throw down Facebook and Twitter and all these different platforms in order to get her campaign and her message out. I think one of the challenges here as well is that, you know, you I don't know, I'm bringing it back to business, but most businesses have one or two distribution channels. Uh, as, as, as a power law, right? So either email works really well for you, and then the second channel that works really well is referrals, and it's like, you know, 60% of, uh, of all of your active customers come from emails, and then another 30 comes from referrals, and then everything else that you do is just kind of like quote-unquote brand building. And, it, you know, different companies have different channel structures like that, but ultimately a lot of it is a power law. And I think it's just important to think about, you know, when you're operating in public office, Unfortunately, in some ways, you have to figure out how, what are the different rules of the different games that you're playing, and also who you're trying to reach with what kind of message. Because I think you're absolutely right. Trump has actually been really good at getting a really simple message out there and emotionally reaching people in America that feel the same. And I think yeah. what we need to ask ourselves as a society is, unfortunately, if we disagree with that, we disagree with just how a lot, most of America feels right now. Yeah, so, so, so really I think it's around, we need to be able to understand like the mechanics and the incentives at play here. Um, because I think the world of politics and the world of news has just become vastly more complicated when we think about all these new distribution channels and each channel actually is targeting a slightly different demographic. So, you know, 
Facebook has now become a place for like, you know, 30, 40, 50 year olds, if not uh, older to hang out. Instagram has become sort of like, you know, uh, the, the, the Gen Y and the Gen Z is now on, uh, you know, TikTok, which I, I don't understand. No, but agreed. Um, definitely, man. And that's like, it's all changing so rapidly. Um, and we have this continuous, like, <laughs> we're, we're looking for change as much as we fear it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay, so um, we've been talking about broad and complex and abstract topics quite a bit. How about we bring it simple and, and back to the core? Positive and practical. What is like, what are one or two habits that you have regarding the news or I think said in a broader way, like information consumption um, that you think might be useful for others? Cool. Um, I think one thing that I actively try and do is that anytime that there is a topic that I think is really interesting, and I'm trying to do deep dive on, such as, for example, COVID, I try and find two opposing kind of like viewpoints and often as polarizing as possible, right? So what does Breitbart think about this? And, you know, what does the uh, Economist or the, the New York Times thinks about this? And then just kind of try and interpret that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And also really just try and find uh, the data behind this. Um, so I think that when COVID broke out, there was a few universities that created like this uh, online data visualization system that lifetime tracked what everything is going on, um, which I think was really useful. So yeah, just basically trying to find opposing points of view and then just trying to get to the bottom of the data for anything that's particularly interesting, I think is, is, is my approach. What about you? Good one. That's a very good one. Um... Not necessarily about information, or it's a bit different. When someone tells me something, right? So when you're in a position when you don't necessarily watch the news, then nine times out of 10, you're going to be hit with news that you should have known about. And when people then talk about it, like they, they usually spend like about five, five seconds at least ridiculing me, which makes sense. And then afterwards, we'll have a normal conversation, right? Um, Something that I very consciously try to avoid and which I see quite a bit in other people is forming an opinion before you've researched it yourself, right? So especially when I hear stuff from like people that I trust, right? So let's say it's my family or my closest friends and they tell me about the news and they give me their kind of objective version of the news, right? Which is very subjective, of course. Then it's very easy to form your own opinion based on bias. And I very consciously try to like make sure that I, I like, so I actively try to take devil's advocate position to like counterbalance for it, if that makes sense. Um, so that I'm still not stuck to any position. And then later on, you can do the research as you talked about. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I, th I think that this, this devil's advocate thing though, it's, it's gotten me into some sticky situations over the last couple of weeks. Um, just because, you know, with everything that's happening around Black Lives Matter, I totally support the movement and I totally support the uh, direction of it. But also there's certain things that have happened, uh, you know, sort of second, third order effects and comments people have made that I simply either I don't understand well enough or I disagree with where I've actually, you know, kind of 
basically said, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Like I, I'm with you up until here, but then here I kind of get a little bit lost. And I think that there's, again, you know, coming back to psychology and the human condition, I think that we have this kind of tendency to focus on the 1% different and ignore the 99% that we have in common with people. And I think that yeah. part of what social media has trained us to do um, is that, you know, content that goes viral on social media often goes viral because it, it's polarizing. It either gets people to hate it or people to love it. And ideally it will do both for different parts of uh, different parts of the society. And those two parts can then just go crazy in the comments, full keyboard warrior style. Uh, for some reason now I'm having like street fighter scenes in, in my head. Um, but I think that the, the, the challenge with that is that we've then kind of taken that into real life conversations. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, generally concerned that in some ways the news and the news via social media has trained us to not be able to have objective discussions and debate about you know such big important topics um and i think that the challenge with that is that oftentimes when you end up trying to be uh, polarizing on one side and the other people are just get more and more entrenched in their views and the ability to have a dialogue just completely vanishes that's exactly it right it's like it's the being entrenched in your views um also like what i said before for example on um you only form an opinion after your research that's not a hard opinion it's like um so so at andrews and horowitz they have this maxim where which is a venture capital firm in the silicon valley they have this maxim of strong opinions loosely held which I love because I think that's exactly what it is. Like you can think about any kind of topic really hard, then make up your mind of what you think it is. And you can have your strong opinion. That's fine. As long as it doesn't hurt people or, um, well, make sure that you have nuance in your thinking, but you can have a strong opinion, but make sure it's loosely held. Make sure that you can easily shift it with any kind of information and don't ever assume that you have all the information because you won't. And even if you will, even if you do, then most likely in the future it's going to change. Yeah, for sure. I think this is kind of what this is all about. And I think this is why um, this episode in particular has been interesting just to be able to deep dive in some of this more complicated meta and tactical kind of side of the news and, and, and sort of how information is disseminated because it is a war zone out there and people are throwing opinions as facts facts as opinions, everything is becoming extra polarizing and extra charged. And I think now more than ever, we all have a responsibility to, to, to be a more active uh, consumer of information and data. And I think that particularly for, um, I guess the younger generation actually seems to be a lot more in tune with the fact that fake news exists and you know there's a lot of polarizing material. So I don't know, like you said earlier, I'm hoping that the consumer trend continues to move in this direction and we can just not get lost in the heat of the moment and actually be able to have sensible debates and, 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 and viewpoints around some of these more complicated, huge global and, and social and political situations. And I guess on, right. on that note, it's probably worth wrapping up the episodes. So thank you guys all for tuning in and listening. Cost and Byram out. Yeah, see you guys.